0: reminder that no matter what you're going through the highs and lows you have a savior who loves you who will hold you fast a beautiful reminder in that song if you got your copy of god's word go ahead and turn to james chapter 2 we're finishing out james chapter 2 this morning we're getting through the halfway point of our series on god has an app for that as we've been working through this this portion of scripture my prayer is that you're seeing and learning things that are applicable in things that you can do to be a better follower of his to do things the way God intends for us to do when it comes to just the things we have talked about and this morning when we think about our world have you noticed how many imitation products there are If you really think about it for a second and I guess we would call them fake and and Lainey and I were having a discussion yesterday because my brain was not working fast enough. I was the oldest of three boys, and so very rarely were my parents gonna buy three boys, Wranglers or Levi's. And I was trying to remember for the best of my knowledge, there used to be a brand of blue jeans that was either sold at Kmart or Walmart. And I know I'm dating myself when I say Kmart because half of the young people have no idea what Kmart was, but we live by Kmart. But I finally remember the name of the jeans, Rustlers. Rustler jeans, they look just like Wranglers, but for half the cost. And when you're a parent of three boys, that's the best option. Because boys are rough when it comes to jeans. But they weren't the real thing. And I can remember being in middle school, making sure my belt covered the logo. Because I I didn't want to be seen wearing these fake jeans. I want to wear the real thing. And so when we live like that, and think about it, we can walk around our world and wear tons of fake stuff. You know, we can wear a fake Rolex and make it look like the real thing. I remember when we were in China back in 2012, a number of my sons and buddies bought some fake Rolexes to give to friends. They looked just like the real thing, but they were faker than fake. But we see that, and it it gives that illusion of something that's real. But we can have a lot of fake things. We can have fake Perfume, fake cologne, fake nails, fake hair, fake Apple products, fake Nike products, fake, you know, Adidas products. Listen, I put fake sugar in my coffee this morning. It's not real sugar, but in my mind, it's close to the real thing. Listen, there are fake designer clothes. There are fake, there's fake leather. There's fake, a lot of fake stuff. And there's nothing wrong with fake to a point. Listen, you can have fake teeth or no teeth. So that's a point when fake is a good thing. I'm tr- it's tr- honest, aren't I? But, listen, there's one area where we can't fake. There's one area where it has to be the real thing. And what you and I need to remember this morning as we're looking into this passage of Scripture from the second half of James chapter 2 is this. We need to have real faith, not fake faith. We need to have real faith, not fake faith. Because when you think about it, without faith, we will not be able to overcome some of the obstacles that you and I will face in our lives. Fake faith will never produce the help we need or save us. Fake faith will never answer the prayers when we cry them out. Fake faith will never transform us. One of my favorite authors is a gentleman by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor, he was a theologian, and he was martyred during World War II. As a, as a matter of fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Adolf Hitler took over Germany, he got with a group of individuals that were going to try to overthrow Adolf Hitler because he didn't agree with his stance, and he preached against it to the point he was arrested, and he was killed in a concentration camp three days before the war officially ended. But this is what Diedrich Bonhoeffer says when it comes to thinking about real faith versus fake faith. And this is what he said. The Christian life comes to me nothing more than living in the world and as the world and being no different from the world. The upshot of it all is that my only duty as a Christian is to leave the world for an hour or so on a Sunday morning and go to church and be assured that all my sins are forgiven. I no longer need to try to follow Christ for cheap grace has freed me from that Diedrich Bonhoeffer coined that phrase cheap grace and I don't know about you but when I read that statement those words sting just a little bit because they are true too many believers live with cheap grace and here's what I mean their mindset says this I will live as the world lives But give up that one hour on Sunday to get my life straight, to get my life back where it needs to be, and then Monday morning start over again. The minute I turn grace and make it cheap, that means what my Savior did on the cross for me means nothing. The agony, the torture, the pain that he went through on my behalf means nothing if I consider grace to be cheap. Because we simply can't just talk the talk we have to walk what we say because if we don't we're no different than the real world around us because we're living the same lives they live speaking the same words they speak listening to the same music treating people the same way as non-believers do there's a reason why jesus over in matthew 5 13 through 14 says we're to be salt of the earth light of the world and in order for me to be salt and light in order for you to be salt and light I have to do simply more than just show up on a sunday morning for an hour try to get everything right and then go back to normal on monday i have to passionately take what jesus has done for me on the cross and take that same gospel that changed my life and share it with others and i'm to picture jesus to the world and what he says and what he does think about it jesus spent three years of ministry on the earth He healed the sick. He hung out with those who were at the bottom of the ladder when it comes to society. He taught his followers to exchange their anger and lust for holiness. And he demonstrated a love for all people regardless of their actions towards him. Even though he knew people hated him, he still showed love to those around him. And he tells you and me as a disciple to imitate his lifestyle. That we're to represent him while we live On this world remember Jesus changed you from the inside out and remember when that day when you asked Jesus to be your Savior remember the excitement you had remember the enthusiasm you had remember the excitement you had just because you were ready to go to church because Jesus had come into your life and made you new and you were excited about what you were going to learn about him and this walk you were going to take with him but sometimes as a believer We move on from what I'm going to call the honeymoon period. When everything's great with Jesus, everything's perfect, and we try to do things on our own to the point we take God and literally set him to the side and keep trying to move forward without him until that one hour on Sunday when we're back in worship. That's cheap grace i'm reminded of what the church in ephesus the letter they received from john in the book of revelation he told them they had lost their first love and they have fallen from great heights today i believe jesus is challenging me and every one of you who are listening and watching and sitting in these pews this morning to believe that those who have been forsaken he has brought back to them there has to be a zeal when it comes to the gospel if you have no zeal for the gospel you've grown stale because you're not practicing your faith you've left your first love and your faith as the title of this message talks about your faith needs to be resuscitated be brought back to life so this morning as we look through this passage and we download this app for resuscitating a dying faith my prayer is that you understand what it means to have an authentic vibrant Christian walk once again this morning my prayer is your commitment to the lord would be infused with a new life a new joy as we examine these truths found in james chapter 2 but here's my my warning for you this morning what we're going to do this morning we're going to talk about it's not a i'll use a little technical term for y'all this morning it's not a drag and download type of app you know when an app updates on your phone takes all of 30 seconds. Sometimes it automatically updates, sometimes you have to tell it to update. It's not one of these kind of apps this morning. What we're talking about is a complete system reboot. It's a system reboot boot. It's a change from the inside out. So the first thing we need to do in order to understand what it means to download this app and what it means to have a system reboot, here's the first point. You have to get back to basics. You have to get back to basics it's interesting it has been said that a chess pro can see the entire progression of a game at the first move I don't know how many of you play chess but it's one of those games that I like to play and it's one of those that you grow in levels of understanding But it's hard to believe and comprehend that a pro, a master at chess can already figure out the whole game he's going to play against somebody by their first move. When I play, I'm thinking two or three moves ahead. If the person goes the direction I think they're going to go. But to have that master to the point where you know exactly where they're going to go and to be able to either counter their move. Or take their peace it's the difference between winning or losing in a game for you and I to resuscitate a dying faith the first move that is so critical for us this morning is this to determine whether your faith is alive or your faith is dead this morning as we study through James 14 through 26 he's gonna use words like faith and works or deeds in some translations And they work together in tandem, faith and works, faith and deeds. But before we can look at the works or the deeds, we have to talk about faith for just a moment. Because when we think about faith, we're thinking about doctrine. What do we believe? The word, our faith, stands for what we believe, or is the basic principle of the Christian in our walk. It's a set belief that are found in God's Word. It's the very core of not only our spiritual maturity, but our spiritual health in our walk with him. Here's what I mean by faith this morning. We believe that Jesus Christ was virgin-born, sinless, died on a cross for the world's sins, was raised from the dead, and the third day is coming again. That's faith. We believe that God is one, yet he exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, which he inspired and created for our instruction and training of righteousness. We believe these statements are true, and together they represent what we have called faith. But if we neglect the foundation of doctrine, we neglect our faith, it becomes disastrous. Think about this for a second. Imagine having muscles and ligaments but no bones to hold on to them. We'd all sag a little bit more than we are right now. We need the bones as foundation. So faith is our foundation when it comes to our Christian walk. That's why it's important to not only know what you believe, but stand on what you believe. Another way to translate the word faith is trust or even allegiance. So in your outline, here's the reminder. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are placing our complete trust in him. When we place our faith in him, we are giving him our complete trust. We're giving everything over to him. Think about a soldier who stands and takes that pledge to become an army or navy or even a marine. He takes that pledge to defend our nation, to stand for what the Constitution says. Think about the president when he takes his oath of office, the things he's saying he's going to do. He's making a pledge to the people he's going to lead. And so just as... A patriot may make a pledge to his country our faith in Jesus is that pledge of allegiance to him so if I make a pledge to Jesus that I'm gonna follow him and be his disciple that means I'm handing everything that I have over to him my complete life is handed to him and I can't hold anything back I can't hold my life my job my friendships, my marriage my free time everything i have has to fully be given to him and trusted to him it's the only way that i can have faith and have a saving faith knowing that my sins are forgiven so in thinking about getting back to the basics i put this question in your outline and it's a legitimate question this morning have you placed your faith in jesus christ Because if you can't answer that in the affirmative, if you can't positively say that you know Jesus is Lord and Savior, you have to go back to the basics and understand what does it mean to have faith in Him. It may mean this morning you're renewing your trust in Him, your faith in Him, and receiving that first breath of air in this new walk with Him that is essential and important in resuscitating a dying faith Because when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're proclaiming him as King of kings and Lord of lords. And if I place that trust in him, I'm doing it in sincerity, and I'm renewing that trust in him. And I'm surrendering every aspect, everything that I think is mine, belongs to him. And that faith that may have been dying is now brought back to life. So we have to get back to the basics. But here's the next thing you have to do, and this is what we're going to pick up in our scripture this morning in James chapter 2, verse 14. And the statement on your outline is simply this. You need to balance the teeter-totter. You need to balance the teeter-totter. Look at verses 14 through 17 with me for just a moment. James chapter 2, it says, What does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them depart in peace be warm and filled but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit thus also faith by itself if it is does not have works is dead james is asking one of the most critical crucial questions that you and i face as followers of jesus christ it's verse 14. he says what does it profit what is the gain my brethren my friends if someone says you have faith but does not have works and so james is setting up for us a, a, a hypothetical question here so what does that look like and he gives us this example he paints this picture which was not uncommon in jesus's day because many people living in the times of jesus in the times of james were peasants or workers who lived by hand to mouth every day so a local patron or a business owner or a farm owner with extravagant means could afford to employ local workers in their fields their barns or in their houses they supported these peasants now, what if what would happen though if the peasant had no patron? They had no one to take care of them. He has literally nothing to wear, nothing to eat. He has nothing. That's why you see, it's a weird question in verse 16, but James is talking to us as a believers. In verse 16, he says, and one says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do nothing. Do you not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? James asked it another way, what good is it? In other words, are you kidding me? Literally, the person has nothing. No food, no no clothes, no shelter. They have nothing, no basic necessities, but a word of empty encouragement from a follower of Jesus. Look at those words again. The person who has means to help them looks at this person who has nothing and says, good luck. Hope everything goes well. That wording, depart in peace, be warmed and filled without giving any means to help them. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are missing the mark because we're not showing love and providing what Jesus has shown to us And so we are not representing jesus to a lost world and what's worse is that james indicates that this type of neglect was not a one-time occurrence it was happening over and over and over again and it's a behavior that's so strange because helping those who have nothing is the cornerstone of the christian faith jesus tells the rich young ruler remember that encounter the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, listen, I have followed all the Ten Commandments. He asks the question, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, do you know the Ten Commandments? I follow them all. Jesus makes this next statement to him. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verse 2. He says, go and sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And if you know that passage out of Mark, when he hears that statement, he turns and walks away sad because he didn't want to give up what he had to those in need jesus goes so far as to say that providing food drink and clothing to those who have none visiting the sick those in prison he talks about doing those to the least of these it's the equivalent of doing it unto jesus when i help somebody in need i'm literally helping jesus because he's put that person in my path james is writing to believers who are passing the poor passing those in need who god deeply deeply cares for in an example of faith where god provides for the poor but it's not being accompanied by actions or blessings from those around them listen it's not enough to believe and hope that god will take care of those who are hurting those who have nothing. In your outline, I make this statement. We must remember that God will indeed take care of, those through, through, of them through us through our gener- generous, selfless, compassionate deeds. God's going to take care of his children through those who are able to help. But it requires us to be generous, selfless, and compassionate. Because look what James says in verse 17, because he takes this scenario a step further. He says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now I want to pause here for just a second. James is not talking about a work-based salvation. He's not saying, I have to work my way into heaven. I have to work my way to gain favor with God. Because when we read this, From the outside looking in it could sound like he's talking about a work-based salvation and it contradicts what Paul talked about with salvation by faith but here's what he's saying and here's what I mean by that statement about the teeter-totter imagine you go to the park one day and you see a girl by herself on a teeter-totter now many of us have played on a teeter-totter when we were younger And we all also know that you can't do it by yourself. It takes somebody else on the other end to help make it work properly. I can try, and this little girl can try all she can to push it up, but she's not gonna get very far. There has to be balance. It takes two to make that toy work. For you and for me, when we live by faith alone, our Christian walk goes nowhere. So without deeds, without works, as James is talking about, it's nothing. There's nothing to our faith. We simply believe, but we're not doing anything with our faith. So we have to balance the teeter-totter so it enables us to move. I have to have faith with works. They go hand in hand. Imagine it this way. You can't have Lucy without Ricky. You can't have Mickey without Minnie. You can't have Kermit without Miss Piggy, and you can't have Andy without Barney. Likewise, you can't have faith without works. It doesn't happen. I love the words from the songwriter Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins wrote the song Awesome God, which we've sung. He wrote some other things, but this is probably one of my favorite songs, and this is a line from the song. The song's called Screen Door, and this is probably one of the best lines in music right here. This is what he says faith without works is like a song you can't sing it's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine now i haven't been on too many submarines but i'm pretty sure if i open a screen door on a submarine it's going to get full of water and what rich Mones was saying in this song is faith without doing anything with it is as useless as a screen door on a submarine so as we're working through this app this morning to resuscitate a dying faith we must possess the proper balance of faith and deeds working together there has to be balance it can't be just about serving all the time and not believing and it can't be just believing all the time and not serving there has to be a balance so it is critical and james shows us that believing the right thing is not enough our faith is proven When we put it into action by serving God and others in our everyday lives. So we get back to the basics. We try to balance the teeter totter. Here's the next step shudder at the possibilities. Shudder at the possibilities. Look at verse 19 for just a second in James chapter 2. Verse 19 says this You believe that there is one God? you do well even the demons believe and tremble some translations also use the word shudder. jewish christians when they heard that verse you believe in one god you do well they would have known exactly what james was talking about he's referring to the most important scripture in the old testament Take your bibles for just a second turn over to deuteronomy turn over to deuteronomy chapter 6 deuteronomy chapter 6 for a believing devout jew this passage of scripture is the most important verse in the old testament deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 5 is known as the shema these two verses were recited every day by devout jews they knew this scripture it was centered into their heart deuteronomy chapter six verses four and five simply say this hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength devout jews they quoted this verse every day because the words represented to them and they represent for us a devotion that they were declaring to the kingdom of God. This was their anthem. This was their pledge. Listen, some rabbis believe that if you spoke the Shema very slow, it would extend your life. That's how much they believed in the power of these verses now remember last week we talked about breaking down the walls that divide and we looked at deuteronomy chapter six which is that commandment love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul with all your mind this is the center of our faith this is what we believe our faith exists in this that god is one god the father god the son god the holy spirit we believe that god is the center of the universe he is the creator of the great i am But look at verse 19 because there's a second part of that verse I don't want you to miss this morning. And it's imperative that you see this. James says, you believe that God is one. And he tells them that it's good. But look at the next part of that verse. He says, who else believes? The demons believe and they tremble. They shudder you believe there's one God hey guess what the demons believe the same thing and not only do they believe but they shudder they shake they tremble in fear because in a way we should be like the demons in just a second and I'm gonna explain this so it doesn't you don't think I've lost my mind this morning we should be like the demons to the point that yes we shudder at God's oneness as the proof of his very nature of who he is listen we're talking about the same god who has the capacity to flood the entire earth the same god who sent the plagues of frogs of locusts and flies the same god who split a mighty sea and held it in place the same god who brought fire on the mountain we're talking about the same god who raises people from the dead we're talking about the same god who created the entire universe and can reduce it to dust in an instant if he chooses to the demons shake the demons quiver for a reason and to some extent we should to a point go to isaiah chapter 6 for just a moment i want to show you the difference between us and the demons when it comes to shuddering. In the presence of god in isaiah chapter 6 isaiah the prophet has a vision of god seated on the throne in the temple his train his robe filled the temple there were six-winged angels that flew around proclaiming that god and his holiness causing the foundation to shake and the temple was filled with smoke but notice isaiah is in the middle of the temple experiencing all this but look at verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 6. This is his only response to what's taking place at this moment as he's in the presence of the holy God. In verse 5 of Isaiah 6, he says, Woe to me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In the presence of God, all Isaiah could think about was his own sinfulness and how holy and great and mighty is the creator of the universe. Like Isaiah, our fear is our initial response to God's holiness falling on our faces and being blown away by the sight being afraid that he's going to destroy us for our sinfulness. The Lord, however, does not wish to destroy us. He loves us. He demonstrated his heartiness and compassion towards us by sending his one and only son to die for our sins on our behalf so we can spend eternity with him. We don't fear God like the demons fear him. You know why? They know the end of the story. They know what's coming. They're going to receive eternal punishment for disobeying God. But if you and I live a life that is aimed at pleasing our Father in heaven, then we don't fear the punishment. So when the Bible tells us to fear the Lord, it doesn't mean we should cower in the corner and wait for God to roll through righteous vengeance. It's not like we're hiding in a corner scared he's going to get us. Because for the believer, fearing the Lord is having a holy respect for a holy God so we don't shudder because we're in presence of god we shudder at the possibilities of god's greatness in our lives and marvel at the lengths to which he can display his love for us the demons shudder because they know what's coming they know how the story ends they know their eternal punishment but for you and me as a believer and child of god We shudder because of the possibility of what God can do in us and through us. So as you revitalize, resuscitate your faith in this step, it's rooted in reverence to a Father who alone is worthy of our awe and our praise. And when you recognize His incomparable, gracious nature towards us, you can't help but tremble in His presence because it's a holy fear we know who we stand in front of here's another thought as we work our way through this passage of scripture this morning show don't tell show don't tell look back at verse 18 of james chapter 2 james chapter 2 verse 18 says this but someone will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. During World War II, Corey Tinboom and her sister Betsy were taken into a concentration camp called Ravensbrook. While in that concentration camp, they were punished. they were arrested because they were s- rescuing Jews in the Netherlands. While at Ravenbrook, they suffered horrible Abuse by the guards the condition of the camp and Betsy finally died due the complications of the treatment she experienced there after the Nazis were defeated Corey was released and went about helping to heal her homeland from the devastation caused by the war by sharing her story sharing her testimony to the point that she became famous in Europe famous in America sharing how God had saved her through all this, how God had used her through all of this. There was a church service in Munich, and she shared in her testimony how God saved her and watched over her. After, the test, after her testimony, a gentleman came forward to shake her hand. Corey Tin Boom recognized the gentleman trying to shake her hand. It was one of the guards from Ravensbrook, one of the guards that had abused her tortured her and her sister but the guard didn't recognize her the guard had no clue who she was he had heard her testimony at church and wanted to extend his hand to her and at first she froze she says that at first she couldn't shake his hand because of the anger and the vengefulness that consumed her thoughts and she said her hand was frozen at her side but then she remembered that Jesus had died for this man but in her mind it was so difficult she kept saying jesus i can't forgive him give me your forgiveness and she says that the minute she reached out her hand and shook his hand it felt like there was a current that passed from her to him and her feelings of anger and revenge melted away by the love and compassion she had for this man the forgiveness of jesus christ is for each of us And for her, it took place when she reached out her hand to this man. This is why I love this story, and I put it in your outline. We can't simply talk about Christ's forgiveness to others. We have to show it. We can't just talk about forgiveness. We have to show it. It's amazing that if you read a novel or a movie, the mindset is show, not tell. It's more interesting when you see the story develop, Instead of knowing what's coming at the moment, it's no accident. It's no accident that when we look at scripture, that forty percent of the old testament and sixty percent of the new testament is composed of historical narratives. So if you want to make a point, sometimes you have to need you need to see it in living color and that's what james is saying in verse 18 he says but some of you will say you have faith and i have works show me your faith without your works and i'll show you my faith by my works this is the path we travel to grow in our faith it happens when we figure out what we believe then put our belief into action listen corrington boom believed that guy and she forgave him of what he had done to her. But her beliefs would mean nothing until she showed that to him. She can say, I forgive you, but until she extended her hand and took his, then she showed the forgiveness. The very moment, listen to this, the very moment we decide that our Christian faith is a private matter between God and us is the exact moment we've lost our faith. The minute you think your faith is a private matter and you don't need to let anybody know that you're a believer, you're never going to show forgiveness to others. If Corey doesn't extend that hand of forgiveness to that former soldier, she, if she doesn't do it. How can she believe that there's a God who loves her and cares for her? There's the same God who forgave her in the same way the Father expects me and he expects you to show precisely what we believe in a practical way so that the world can understand God's love. Listen, if we don't show others what we believe by what we do, we are stopping short of what God desires for us. Listen, there's a reason why John penned these words. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions in truth. So this morning, let me give you a little bit of what if so bear with me for just a second what if dr martin luther king jr after all his preaching and his conviction about racial equality in america had nothing that done nothing to make it a reality what if he'd never made phone calls what if he had never organized sit-ins and bus boycotts what if he never allowed himself to be put in harm's way? What if he decided that that march on D.C. was a good idea? Imagine if he had said, I have a dream is a good thought, but never made that speech. What if it was just words? Let me give you some more what ifs. What if Jim Elliot had never flown to Ecuador to evangelize the Akua Indians? What if Hutton Taylor never sailed to China to share the gospel with the Chinese? What if Mother Teresa had never traveled to Calcutta? To care for the pork, the poor, the sick, the orphaned? What if Moses hadn't gone back to Egypt to have freed the Israelites? What if David never picks up that stone to throw at Goliath? What if Ezra and Nehemiah never bring the children of Israel back from captivity? What if Peter doesn't drop his net? What if Matthew never leaves the tax table? What if Paul had ignored the blinding light on the road to Damascus? what if jesus hadn't died on the cross what if jesus hadn't risen again what if jesus had never come at all and here's the one for you and for me what if our intentions were only that intentions but never actions we as a body of believers must show the world around us what we believe in our hearts to be true so when we show don't tell we'll be one step closer to bringing our faith back to life completely. I can't just talk about it. I have to show it to those around me. Final step this morning, final step in resuscitating a dying faith is you have to get your head in the clouds. You have to get your head in the clouds. Look at starting in verse 20 through 26. Look what it says in James chapter 2. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. There have been countless believers who have gone before us who are cheering us to get to the finish line. And to finish well as Christians, as believers today, as we work together to accomplish God's purpose. Listen, it's not our requirement to remake the proverbial will. Our call is to learn from those who have gone before us. It's interesting, James closes out this chapter looking at two specific individuals from two different complete walks of life. He shows us Abraham abraham this man the father of the israelites whose faith defines rationality god tells abraham pack up your stuff and go and he trusted him he left his family his extended family took his immediate family at 75 years old and goes into an unknown territory simply because god said go he wholeheartedly believed god when god promised him a child even though abraham and his wife sarah we're quite old. And God came through on that promise of giving him Isaac. And God came through on his promise when he told Abraham, listen, sacrifice your only son. And Abraham had the knife in his hand, was going to sacrifice his son. And God showed his sovereignty to Abraham. Abraham showed his faith to God. Abraham's faith wasn't merely just lip service. It wasn't that he could abandon it and pick it up later. God demanded from Abraham what he cherished most, that son, and he didn't stop from responsibilities of giving up his son to God. By faith, he's justified by his works, by his actions. Then James tells us about Rahab, a harlot. Rahab How she hid the spies in jericho before they took possession of the land how she told the king's men that these spies had already left how she looks at these spies and says listen we've heard about your god we've heard what god has done through you as you've made your way here and she simply tells them to remember her and her family when they take possession of the city she acts on faith siding with the armies of Israel and with a God who she didn't know at the time to protect her by helping these two. But the story of Abraham and Rahab is just the tip of the iceberg. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the faith chapter. All these individuals who did great things. We didn't talk about Moses leading a nation even though he was a stutterer we didn't talk about Noah building a massive boat in the middle of a desert where it never rains we haven't talked about Gideon and Samson and David and Daniel but what is amazing about all these individuals is what we find over in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 39 and 40 and this is what it says all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Do you get the weight of that passage? These people who have gone before us They are still waiting for the promise. They are still waiting for what we've already seen. They knew a Messiah was coming, but hadn't shown up yet. We know he's come, and he's coming back again. And these saints who have gone before us are going to be made perfect when Jesus comes back for us. When he comes back for all of us, these Old Testament heroes of the faith will receive the grace of Jesus Christ unto themselves. These folks are looking forward to that time when their sins are forgiven, when they will live with God forever and eternity. Listen, you and I file into a very long line of heroes who have displayed their faith in God to the point of losing their lives. We're not the first believers on the block, and we're not the last. There are others who will come after us, god's mission god's reminders he wants to save the whole world from sin and it's been going on for millennia and even now we are acting alone to accomplish this because if you read in hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 he says therefore we also since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us so in a manner of speaking the christian life is a race one that requires great endurance and considerable focus but this race isn't an individual sprint it's a relay race just like you watch athletes in the olympics that are passing the baton jesus commands his apostles his disciples for centuries to be faithful believers and pass that baton to the next believer. You have a cloud of witnesses that are sitting in the grandstands of glory, cheering you on as you complete your race with confidence. And you have those who are working and striving to share the gospel with those around them. You are not alone in this race of faith, but this is the last step to this application, this app being downloaded, this cloud of believers that have gone before us to be faithful, to remind us to be diligent in sharing the gospel, sharing God's grace with every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. You and I are joining this great initiative to share with the world the love God has for us. My prayer this morning is as you download this app, You understand that to resuscitate a dying faith, you realize that faith begins with what you believe about God and his word. That's the foundation. That's fundamental. We have to believe God and who he is. But you also learn this morning there's a balance between faith and action because you can't have one without the other. You maintain a holy reverence for a holy God, remembering that the demons tremble in the face of God's sovereignty and the power because the demons believe, but they don't obey. And you show your belief through your action because you show God's love to a world that's in need. And you remember that you're not alone in the race. Your faith is strengthened by the heroes of the faith, by those who have gone before us and those who will come after us. This morning, your faith may be lackluster. Your faith may be faltering this morning you may be struggling with trying to apply the things we've talked about today sometimes it feels like you're drowning in the sea of cares and worries and you're distracted by the goal of the mission for the kingdom of god sometimes you need a lifesaver and i'm not talking about the candy you need somebody to throw you that lifesaver to get you out of those troubled waters you're in this morning I want to remind you that the lifesaver that's available to all of us is Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior that's the lifesaver Jesus says this to us I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly do you believe that this morning every head bowed and every eye closed and just a moment John Ellen is gonna come and lead us in a psalm. before he comes as we move into this time of response my prayer for you this morning is that you understand that there may be a need to resuscitate a dying faith you may be walking a a, talking a good talk but your walk isn't matching up with what you believe you're struggling with that foundation you're struggling with showing not just telling about your faith you're struggling with that that teeter-totter because you think that i gotta have more faith or i have to have more works they go hand in hand Some of you this morning may just be struggling in your walk in general because you feel like your faith just shows up on Sundays, but during the week you're bombarded with the cares of this world. You're overwhelmed by responsibilities, and your focus has been taken off of the one who loves you. This morning, the key to resuscitating a dying faith is believing in the one who sent his son to die for your sins that's where it starts and it moves from there so my prayer this morning that if you came in with a need of a recharge or a reboot to the system that you'll experience that this morning not just a a clip and a click and hope that the app updates but a complete reboot this morning that's my prayer for you father thank you for our time today Father. As we come to this moment we come to it in a holy reverence Father, because we're overwhelmed by your love, your grace, and your mercy. And Father, my prayer is that we never make your grace cheap grace. That, Father, we experience it every day of our lives as a follower of yours. This morning you may be speaking to some who are with us or some that are watching and realizing that their faith needs to be resuscitated. Father, it needs to be renewed, restrengthened. strengthened Father, my prayer this morning as we move into this time that you would just move in the hearts of individuals, And, Father, that everything that would be done, be done for your glory and your honor. And, Father, we simply pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. Let's all stand.